Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to season four of The Females, a podcast that deep dives into the world of women, work, and what it takes to build a successful and fulfilling career on your terms. This season, we're exploring the theme of courage, from the traditional definition to the new and unexpected ways that courage shows up in our own lives. Today's interview is with Bridget Schulte, the author of the New York Times bestselling book on time pressure, Overwhelmed, Work, Love, and Play When No One Has the Time. She's also the founding director of the Good Life Initiative at the nonpartisan think tank New America and director of the Better Life Lab. Bridget will be sharing her advice on time management, productivity, the causes and consequences of our unsustainable ways of an always-on culture, and how to make time by rethinking how we work. We'll also explore creativity and why is it that the best ideas come to us when we're in the shower, plus how to stop seeking status in busyness by recapturing the value of leisure. And now, this is The Females. Well, I'm so excited to have you on The Females, and for some context for the listeners, you and I met about five years ago when your book, Overwhelmed, had just come out because you were writing an article for Self Magazine on busyness. I don't know if, if you recall this. and, um, and I, I was, do. I absolutely do. And I was one of those crazy busy people that you interviewed for the article. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I remember, yeah. Yeah. And it was a fun article because, you know, at the time, the thinking was like, oh, well, people are only busy you know, if they've got kids or if they've got all this caregiving and what was so interesting and that, you know, while the data is certainly, that, that certainly bears that, that out, that caregiving is, is something that really makes life stressful and busy. What was really interesting is that the self article is really all about young women yeah. and how crazy busy so many of them felt. And, and so many of them tied it back to the sense that, you know, when they were kids, they were always like, you know, felt this great pressure to do and succeed and achieve. And you had to look great for your college resume and you had to look great for your life resume. And you could never do enough and <laughs> you could never sit still. And, and I thought that was really interesting that people had not really thought of busyness um, in, in that way before and how, how pervasive and powerful it is in our culture. A hundred percent. And I, I mean, obviously I related to that, but I also, I still sort of relate to that. And I know we're going to talk about the badge of busyness and how, you know, sometimes we wear it with honor, but we shouldn't. So you, you wrote this amazing book and you told me when we were kind of chatting about this podcast interview that it really changed the whole trajectory of your career. So I'd love to just kind of briefly <laughs> have you explain, you know, your career path and, and how things have changed since the, the wildly popular, huge success of your book, Overwhelmed. 
Yeah, well, thank you. You know, it's it's really funny. This book was really an accident. You know, I spent most of my life as a journalist, and um, I, you know, I never had one specialty, so to speak. I've like a lot of journalists. I've written about an awful lot of things over time, and I just have a wide ranging curiosity. I love stories. I loved learning every day. I was sort of you got to learn something new, and you know, I never really thought about women's issues or feminism or, you know, family issues or gender issues, because, I mean, I hate to say this, but in the newspaper business, it's such a macho culture that all of those issues are sort of seen as soft, as sort of not important, you know, as, Mm -hmm. you know, if you really want to get on the front page, you better have the latest, you know, political scoop or, you know, something really hard, you know, like this this notion of hard news is what's important. And I hate to say it, but I really bought into that whole mythology about kind of what is quote unquote important and what do we value. And so I was like a lot of women of that generation where I kind of just said, oh, I don't need to be a feminist. We've figured it all out. Here I am. I'm at the Washington (laughs) Post. You know, and I I look back on that and I really cringe uh, just at my own ignorance. But, you know, I have to own it. That's really where I was. And a lot of that was because of the environment I was in. And then honestly, I had two kids. I was just trying to like compete in this really intense work environment and, you know, do amazing work. And then I was also trying to be this like killer, super duper mother. And then, you know, I was also trying to have like a really great house where you could have people (laughs) over and, you know, have this kind of like warm, wonderful, you know, caring atmosphere. Um, And I was like losing my mind. You know, I was never sleeping. (laughs) I was never exercising. I was never taking time for myself. And I just really figured everybody that I talked to just said, yeah, it's crazy busy. It's nuts. And I just figured this is the way that it had to be. The the sort of the, the talk was, well, you made this choice to be a working mother. And so it's just going to suck. So just, you know, suck it up and do it and shut up, you know, stop whining. Mm-hmm. So honestly, I really thought that any trouble that I was having was because there was something wrong with me and that I just needed to like, I don't know, sleep less or something or, you know, that I just felt like it was a personal failing. And then I was involved in this project. I ended up, you know, meeting a time diary researcher, time use researcher, who basically just said, you know, we were looking at women and and why they were busy. And I was appointed into this committee that was looking at why women weren't reading the newspaper as Uh much as men. And we figured, well, they're busy. That's why. And so I I was looking for data and I I called this time use researcher guy up and he said, yeah, no, women aren't busy. Women have 30 hours of leisure, you idiot, (laughs) 30 hours of leisure a week. And, you know, if you don't have this leisure, then you're doing it all wrong. And I just said, I don't have 30 hours of leisure. You're out of your mind. And he said, yes, you do come and do a time study. So I did the time study that led to the book. And then in the process, I just, I look back and I feel so grateful that I had, you know, pretty much a year to just dive into these issues of women and feminism and gender and time and families and caregiving and all the things that in my career as a newspaper reporter were seen of as soft. I really began to be able to dig deeply into the economics and the research and see like, oh my God, these are central to human existence. These are central to life. This defines the experience that we have here on earth. (laughs) You know, it may not be breaking news, but it's hugely important. And so I came back to the Washington Post and I really wanted to write about these issues in a really substantive way. 
and really ran into resistance. You know, somebody said, well, it's like you're trying to cover paint drying. You know, what's the <laughs> mood? <laughs> oh you know, gosh. like yeah. uh, our lives, you know, the meaning of life. Right. And so I left the post and I came to New America, uh, which is a nonpartisan think tank in Washington, D.C. It's where I'd had my fellowship when I was working on the book. And I love it because it's really dedicated to big ideas. And it's dedicated not only to understanding and surfacing the challenges like you do in journalism. Journalism is really all problem focused, but it's also about looking for like, okay, well, what do you do about it? How do you solve it? And so I really feel so grateful that, you know, wake up every day and not only figure out, well, what's going wrong, but looking for like, well, what can we do about it? And how do we make this right? Mm -hmm. It must be really great to work at a place too, where all of that is front and center. You know, if they're researching it and they're thinking about how to fix it or what to do about it, you're not working at a place where they're sticking their head in the sand and just saying like, well, this is up for other people to figure out. So it's kind of interesting too. Yeah, no, and it's exciting to see kind of how how things can shift and how you can make a difference when you start really paying attention. Absolutely. Well, so your book, just so everyone knows, it's called Overwhelmed, Work, Love, and Play When No One Has the Time. And I'm curious, what did you learn about our culture's obsession with busyness? Like any specific, like where did that come from? Why are we like this? Yeah, that's such a good question. It was so funny because, you know, the whole book started out with this challenge that I had 30 hours of leisure you know, that men have 40 hours of leisure, you know, this whole idea that we have more time. And I didn't feel that. And and so I started looking at the research and really interesting, the time use researchers will say, it's like, well, look, we're not working as many hours as we used to. And it's true. Like back in the twenties, if you were a steel worker, you worked six or seven days a week, 12 hours a day. <laughs> you know, the whole labor movement has been about trying to get shorter hours, but that really misses the point, you know, that that's sort of an average of, uh, you know, lower wage workers who are not able to get as many hours. And then what's happening with like white collar workers is they're working more and more extreme hours. So you kind of get this average that doesn't really exist for anybody. And it also ignores the fact that a lot of the people on the low wage end of the scale are putting together two and three jobs. Right. It's not like they have all this more leisure time. They're picking up side hustles and gigs and other work. So so I think that was one of the first things is to recognize that the that the statistics that all these time use researchers were using like was wrong. You know, nobody lived that life. It was right. this like mythical average. And then the other thing was just really understanding in the mid-20th century, in the 1950s, there were all these predictions that we were so much more productive as an economy, that we were going to get to this point where all of our basic needs would be met. And by this time in life, we would be working 15 hours a week. We'd be able to retire at age 38 and live <laughs> these great lives filled with leisure and time to you know, learn Italian and yeah. painting and travel. And uh, I remember I talked to this one leisure researcher and, uh, and he said, you know, I've spent my whole career trying to figure out what the hell happened? Yeah. <laughs> so it is a really good question that in really in a hundred years, we went from showing our status in the amount of leisure time you had, which was sort of the early 20th century to in the 21st century, we show our status and how much we can cram into a calendar and how much we can share on social media about how busy our days are and how, how many things that we can do in a day, really to the point of exhaustion. Did you know that design roles in tech were listed in the top five most in-demand jobs by CNBC in 2018? 
If you're creative, curious, and looking to make the leap into tech, now is a good time to level up your skills and future-proof your career. Springboard is an online learning experience on a mission to transform education and help you advance in your career. They offer design courses supported by one-on-one mentorship from industry experts. After completing the course, Springboard guarantees you'll get a user experience design job within six months or your money back. That's incredible. Who offers that? Nobody. Individuals from all backgrounds have successfully broken into the field of user experience and landing jobs at places like Facebook, Google, Lyft, and even IBM. To support your journey, you'll work with your own dedicated career coach, refining your interview skills and resume for the right job match. Springboard courses are self-paced and flexible to fit your needs. You can study online while still working full-time. There's also a range of payment options available to make it easy on you. Pay upfront, monthly, or even defer your tuition until you start your own new job. The curriculum has been developed for you to own the design process end-to-end. More than just theory, you'll get your hands dirty, coming up with design solutions for real-world client problems. Working on these capstone projects, you'll build confidence and a portfolio that sets you apart from the competition. And when you go to apply for that job, that recruiter is going to be so impressed with that real portfolio. In support of getting more women into tech, Springboard is offering listeners $750 off tuition costs when you apply now with our exclusive promo code CONTESSA750. That's CONTESSA, C-O-N-T-E-S-S-A 750. Apply to the UI slash UX design career track course from Springboard today. You will not regret it. And if you've been thinking about switching careers, this is a great opportunity. What are some of the consequences of our, you know, unsustainable, always on culture? I mean, if this is the status that we're striving for today versus, you know, the status of leisure, what are the consequences, like what's going to hit us in the face basically? Yeah. So there's a couple things, you know, and I'll just talk about three, you know, the first is just in terms of health, that, that constant feeling of being stressed out and busy, not able to take a breath, not able to like even have a moment to think that has huge health consequences. You know, our bodies are, are designed to have what's called allostasis, sort of this stress and release, you know, you, you gear up for, uh, you know, a run or you gear up for a big presentation. And then once it's over, ah, you have this, this release, uh, you know, that that's really how our body works best. But when we are busy and have this kind of hectic, always on feeling, we never have that moment of rest. So what's happening to our bodies is that they're finding it's like when you're constantly bathed in that stress hormone of cortisol, it's actually been uh, linked to really serious health conditions like diabetes, obesity, inflammation, cardiovascular disease, even cancer. So that's the first thing to think about is stress and the impact that that's having. You know, and the other thing to think about is that that stress does not only affect your health. There's research that shows that it actually is affecting our brains and our ability to think and that it also works like a contagion. So you come home and you're busy and you're stressed out that cortisol actually transmits to every single other person in your family, wow. including the kids, you know? And so I think that that's really something to think about those, those health and stress effects. And the other thing to think about is, you know, just in terms of, of work and, and doing effective work or innovation or thinking good thoughts or, you know, coming up with the next big idea. What we're finding with neuroscience is that 
fresh ideas and insight only come in this kind of uh, relaxed, diffuse mode. You know, our brain works on two functions, diffuse and daydreamy, and then this other one that's concentrated work. And that the ideas, the insight come in that kind of spacey, daydreamy kind of moment, which is, you know, really why you get your best ideas in the shower sometimes. And so if we're constantly always on and on and on and in that concentrated mode and got to do, got to do, we no longer are able to kind of put ourselves in the position to have a new idea, mm-hmm. you know, so you're constantly trapped and stuck. And I guess that was the last point that I'd wanted to make. I'm doing some work with some behavioral scientists right now as they're trying to look at what drives overwork and work-life conflicts through the lens of behavioral science. And then we're trying to design interventions that people can try to use in their work and their organizations to see if that can help mitigate some of that work-life conflict. Can you be more effective at your work and get it done so that you can actually go home and it won't spill over, work won't spill over into your life? And will that help reduce stress and improve your health? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's so fascinating about that, that that really ties to the busyness question is that uh, from behavioral science, they're finding that when we get in that hyper-focused, busy state, this phenomenon is called tunneling, that your vision literally tunnels. Your cognitive capacity for what you can think about narrows so that you're really only able to focus on sort of the low-value tasks right in front of you. And so to really get that big thing done or think that big thought, that requires you getting out of the tunnel and sort of taking a breath and stepping back and get that, getting that 30,000 foot view. And we're really, our, our workplaces are not enabling us to do that. That kind of busy craziness is, is leading to tunneling, which then leads to more and more tunneling. And because all you're doing is focusing on the low value tasks, right. you're getting completely burned out and exhausted and you're not getting your best work done. I mean, I completely resonate with that. I mean, I've even this week, I remember thinking like, I have these big projects to do. Why am I working on this small thing? And it's like, that was what my, <laughs> yeah. that's what my brain I know, handle. believe me, <laughs> I've been there. Which only stresses you out more because you're like, that big thing is still hanging over you. But what are, so you said the workplaces are not set up like this. So if you, if you're feeling this way, work and you know your workplace is set up like this and I'm sure a lot of people work in open workspaces which I think now the research is showing that that's actually not that great for all the things we're talking about what are some specific actions that you can take to be more fulfilled and not overwhelmed all the time and and I I think of these as really courageous acts because this is kind of going against the grain of what you you, we were talking about earlier like the status symbol yeah and uh you know, it's really important. So a couple things that I would say that's really come out of our research. Uh, I'm doing a project with Ideas 42, a, a behavioral science nonprofit and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And a couple principles are really emerging that I think are really interesting and potentially really helpful. So we're still testing them. So there's a still kind of beta mode. But what I will say from our research is that a couple things that you can do is begin to kind of push back against the notion that being busy is being productive, you know, kind of push back against those kind of like, they're called mental models. If we have the mental model of the ideal worker as somebody who's like crazy busy and working late and sending emails at all hours of the night, begin pushing back on that and really focusing on the performance and the mission. It's like, well, wow, why did it take you so long to get this work done? (laughs) What made you so inefficient? How can we change that so you don't have to spend the night in the office next time? You know, kind of pushing back against the assumption that always on work actually leads to better work. You know, a couple other things, take that time, take that pause, sort of an intentional pause. Like if you, you know, put it on your calendar for 30 minutes uh, on a Monday and just take a breath, get out of the tunnel and think, 
what are like my three biggest things I really need to get done or want to get done this week? And then, you know, kind of take that moment, make that commitment. These, you know, this is what I need to do to push forward on really important work. And then, you know, as simple as it sounds, so many of us do not do this. Look at your calendar and put it in your calendar. So many times we just expect work is going to get done. And then we get to Friday at five and we're like, oh, well, I didn't get my work done. I'm going to have to work this weekend. Right. So take that moment on Monday and actually put it in your calendar. And then another thing to think about, it's, a, it's something that I do all the time now, to recognize through human behavior that human beings are terrible at estimating how long things are going to take. <laughs> it's called the planning fallacy. And I am so guilty of this. It's like, sure, I can get that to you by Tuesday. And then right. it's like Thursday and I haven't <laughs> even started it. And, you know, it's not like I've been procrastinating or I've just been, you know, completely overwhelmed with other stuff. So one of the things that we're experimenting with is creating uh, like slack in your calendar, like a put like every Friday or every Thursday from like one to three or, you know, one thirty to two, you know, 20 minutes, whatever you can put in there, just, you know, put in slack. Like this is the place where I'm going to do all the work. I thought I would be done with by now that I am not. Right, yeah. <laughs> and don't beat yourself up for it. Just recognize that that's human behavior recognize that the way that our work goes, there's a lot of volatility and emergencies and fires are always coming up. But that if you want to get out of the tunnel, if you want to get out of that kind of crazy, like everybody's busy, nobody's productive, create some of that slack to be able to to account for some of that. And then the last thing is when you've scheduled in time for your concentrated work, for your priorities, let other people know about it and create sort of this common bond, if you will, around concentrated time. Some people call it a mutual time lock where you agree, you, you kind of, you know, you get peer support, if you will, like, okay, this is, this is what's important. This is why this is the time I'm going to do it. And then I will be available for meetings and emails and Slack and whatever you need after that. But for this 45 hour, 90 minute chunk, um, I've got heads down and, and build in support. And so when somebody else is doing that, kind of protect that time as well. Mm-hmm. So those are, there are a couple things that you can do, I guess. You know, what I would really encourage people to remember is that oftentimes we think about these things in terms of personal responsibility or personal failure or willpower. And some of the, the tips that I've just talked about are are things that you can do as an individual. But the real power comes from creating an environment where everybody can do this. You know, we are all part of creating culture, but this really requires middle managers and bosses and everybody to to get on board so that we can all create these environments to push back against this very crazy, powerful, busy status quo. A hundred percent. And I think also while a manager might implement, you know, the hour on Friday to play catch up or to focus on your own personal or professional development, it's also important because speaking from a manager's point of view, it's also important that the employees or the people who are on the team adapt that and kind of keep everybody honest to it, you know, because you can like create these things like, you know, every Friday from one to two, this is going to be that time for us, but you need everybody's buy-in to actually like consistently keep it happening. Getting ready to eat food is pretty easy nowadays. Getting healthy ready to eat food? Well, that's an entirely different story. I spend a lot of time, like hours, on my commute every day. So I'm all about things that are fast and convenient. And unfortunately, those two things are usually not that healthy. 
And even if a meal kit delivery service gave me everything I needed, I'm usually so tired at the end of the day that cooking isn't really high on my list. I actually find it more relaxing if I can just grab some food and eat it in peace versus add another item to my to-do list. That's where Sakara comes in. Sakara makes organic, ready-to-eat meals with nutritious and plant-based ingredients that are designed to help you tap into your best self. Sakara is a dream for me. Aside from being delicious, I highly recommend the Sakara burger with that coconut quote-unquote bacon. It was so good, and you are not going to just be eating cold food the whole time. I heated it up, and it was delicious. All the Sakara meals are designed to promote healthy digestion and increased energy. With Sakara, you can have breakfast, lunch, and dinner delivered to your door 100% ready for you to eat. No cooking necessary. I love that it all comes with individual packages and labels, so there's no guessing which meal is for Monday's lunch and which is for Monday's dinner. And that's not all. You can even get support from a certified health coach to keep you in tune with your own nutritional health goals. All right, you can tell that I am a Sakara super fan, and the great news is that they are offering our listeners $60 off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash females. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A, dot com slash females f-e-m-a-i-l-s to get sixty dollars off your first order again that's sakara.com slash females i love it i know you guys are gonna love it and let me know on our new instagram channel at the females podcast you know and that's the thing that the behavioral science really points out is how much more powerful it is when we have peer support, Mm -hmm. that it's really hard. It's hard to push back against the status quo. It's hard to change culture on your own. And that's why it's really great to kind of, you know, build those networks of support, either inside your team, inside your organization, across teams, or even outside your organization, build a network of support, you know, share tactics and strategies, keep each other accountable, having accountability partners. It really, you know, the research shows it helps us keep working out it also helps us keep on track in working in, in more effective ways that will ensure that we get better work done and we'll also have time for our lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious. I mean, I've had friends kind of joke about this, but they'll, they'll say, and I probably have said it too, like, I'm addicted to being busy. Like, they like being busy. Is it, mm-hmm. is it an actual addiction? Can you actually be addicted to kind of the go, go, go? Or, um, entre- <laughs> you know, for entrepreneurs too, this happens a lot where, like, they're always launching this or they're building that. And so I'm just kind of curious, like <laughs> – can, can you actually say this is an addiction? Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, there there is some research into that. They call it the sort of the busyness paradox. It p- typically makes us feel kind of miserable in some ways, but it also <laughs> makes us feel kind of great yeah. in other ways. Like, look at me. Know, Ooh, I'm, so, I'm getting so much done. And there is a bit of a dopamine rush when you see this massive crammed to-do list and you check it all off at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that is one thing to, to think about it. And again, it's addictive because we've come to value it in our society. Right. You know, if you were in, you know, it was interesting when I was reporting my book and I was in Denmark and there was an American I was talking to there and she worked like an American, like this kind of crazy, busy right. and early out late. Uh, she thought that she was amazing and she was doing great work and it came time for her performance review and she thought she was going to get this massive bonus and she didn't get anything. And they looked at her, he said, and they said, you know, if you look at our, uh, at our values as an organization, 
work-life balance and having a good life, you know, being uh, sustaining your career over a life cycle rather than burning out in a year or two, that's our value. And you don't have any work-life balance. So you are not living one of our firm's major values. So we're not rewarding you. And she just said it was like, you know, it was like one of those massive paradigm shifts in her life. She said, I had to go home and try to figure out like, what did that mean? How could I have a life? And how could I still have an identity as a, as a really excellent worker? And it took her a while, but it, it just shows you the power of culture that, you know, we're addicted to busyness because we, we tend to think that it's a good thing here. Mm-hmm. So the more that we can show the dangers of busyness, how, how unproductive you are, that there's actually a cliff, a productivity cliff that after 55 hours of work in a week, you are no more, you are not productive anymore. You are too tired and burned out to do anything effective. You make mistakes. You end up doing, taking three or four times as long to do something that if you were rested, you would have done in 20 minutes. So I think we need to be looking at the bigger picture of what we're losing by having this kind of busyness as a status. Right. And I guess the other thing, the last thing that I would say about that is, it is, it is tough when you love what you do, like a lot of entrepreneurs do, or like I do, and you're passionate about it. It's really hard to turn it off. And I understand that because listen, I struggle with this myself. It's like, oh, it's hard. It's like yeah. you don't work at a factory. So the whistle doesn't go off and you've built your widgets for the day. The type of work that we do, how do you know when you're done? It's a, it's a really important question that I think we all need to be wrestling with. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I also feel like if you are like that, you're kind of wired to be go, go, go. If you're not go, go, going, then you have this guilt. You know, it's uh, you start to Mm -hmm. kind of criticize yourself of like, then you're not doing enough. So we've had lots of episodes to talk about inner critics. And so it's kind of like you have to mix the two things in. But I'm just thinking about that woman in Denmark and thinking like, man, that must have been such a wake up call to like, you know, when, when, <laughs> this, when this starts to affect your like promotions and your salary, then people certainly, you know, that's that's a hard piece of feedback to get, even though it's it's a, in a way a good piece of feedback. But that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Really tough. You know, and it's interesting that, you know, it's so true. You talk about this kind of this, this melding of this go, go, go culture and we want to achieve and we want to do, you know, and then the guilt if we feel like we're not productive. I think we need to start reframing that. If you really want to be go, 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 that requires fresh ideas. That Mm -hmm. requires energy. You know, if you are go, go, go to the point of exhaustion or burnout, you're kind of go, go, done, you know? (laughs) And so if you really want to sustain that, think about being a marathon runner. You know, there are water breaks. There are, you know, people stop and walk and they get, you know, protein gels. You know, when you're training, you you have intense days, you have rest days. That that's really, you know, if we start thinking in that longer term, I think that'll help us get out of the tunnel and recognize that that those moments of rest are part of being go, go, go. Right. No, that's a, that's a really good point. Okay. Last question before we move into some rapid fire, which is what's the last <laughs> rapid fires are really fun, but <laughs> so don't be okay. scared. It's like, I'm, okay. Cause I'm scared. It's like, Oh no, yeah, I didn't no. prepare for that. I don't have my answer. Ah! Yeah. What was the last courageous act that you made and what was the result or impact of it? Oh, courageous act. You know what I have to say? So I spent most of my career at the Washington Post. And so I never really had an opportunity to freelance or send my writing out to other places. But now that I'm at New America, that is what I have to do. If I want to get my writing out, I have to, you know, send out a pitch and hope they like it and send out an essay and, and hope they like it. And so 
I, I have to say, I have been kind of scared of that. And I've been worried about rejection. And I've been, you know, kind of like, oh, my God, maybe I'm not good enough. And right. oh, they don't like me. And all of those kind of crazy, like you said, inner critic that we all have, you know, they all of that has just been out blaring. And so my last courageous act is I finished a very personal essay last Monday, and I took a deep breath. And I did, I sent it out. And it's been rejected twice, <laughs> but, I, but I got it out like one other, you know, I sent it out again. And yeah. I, I spoke, that's, that's been really hard for me. And, you know, it hasn't appeared. I don't know if it will. I hope it does, <laughs> but just even trying, even taking right. the chance that's been scary and um, hopefully courageous. Oh, definitely courageous. I think that most courageous act, as you said, is just, is just trying. It's not necessarily the result. It's just the fact that you tried. So I think that's wonderful. Okay, so rapid fire. What would your alternate universe dream job be? Oh, let's see, probably alternate universe. Yeah. Uh, probably, <laughs> you know, being on a starship captain or something like that, oh. exploring <laughs> new worlds. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I was going to say, <laughs> this sounds like you might be a Star Trek fan. Okay, what's yeah. your best productivity hack? Working in pulses. So I, when I can, I set the timer for 30, 45, and no more than 90 minutes. I turn off everything. I have a list of like, this is what you're doing in this kind of productivity period. You may not stop. You may not get to go to the bathroom. You may not get a cup of coffee until it's done. Right. And then once, once you are done, you get to like reward yourself with a walk or a cup of coffee. Yeah, that's great. Okay, last one. What are you doing after this interview? I am actually having another interview for a story I'm excited about, excited to write that I will also be pitching on the impact that so many low-wage workers have such crazy, unpredictable schedules, what that means for, like, what does that, what does that feel like to live that life? Oh, interesting. Well, once you write your book on schedules and, you know, not having something predictable, we'll have to have you back on the show because I, I do, <laughs> the only thing we know for certain about scheduling is that it will always change. Well, Bridget, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us really become more courageous about unplugging and realizing, as you said, kind of resetting your, your mindset around that. It's been really helpful. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And it's wonderful to talk to you again. Welcome back to our new segment of the show called Tough Questions. This is where Kayleen and I ask each other, you guessed it, tough questions about workplace politics, vulnerability, and personal challenges. And we'll also update you on what's happening behind the scenes at Career Contessa. All right, Kayleen, so what's happening in your world? Welcome back. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Actually, yesterday we had a piece come out in editorial that I was really excited to put together. Um, about how your best mentor might be a loved one. It especially actually made me think of coming on the podcast, and I feel like we always end up circling back to talking to our mom <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or calling mom when there's a big problem. Um, so it's sort of about that kind of thing where rather than going out and maybe searching for a professional mentor per se, even yeah. though those are also really valuable, there's those people that you don't recognize are mentoring you every day. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if there's like a a bad side of that too though because sometimes when you are getting advice from your parents because oh, yes. <laughs> you're you could do no wrong yeah well or, or you do yeah, yeah. everything wrong <laughs> um so some people might hear that and be like oh there's a another side of that story but I think it's a good topic to be exploring because mentorship is always also one of those topics where people you know you hear you've got to have a mentor and it's sometimes a little intimidating too to be like oh, 
okay, got to check that off the list. Yeah. I think it's just uh, about the idea that there's like mentors in maybe unexpected places that you don't know are already active. Yeah. Well, so what's new in my world is I'm looking at, they're called jacket covers. Basically, it's the cover of the book for Power Moves. Kayleen knows this because I've been showing the team a lot of different options. And it's fascinating because when you are writing a book, you're so focused on the words that are going to be in the book. And then it comes the cover and it's like, you know, it's such a small thing. And yeah, it's a big so thing. So exciting though. It is exciting. And so it's been, you know, I've been giving a lot of feedback and thinking about like, I kind of have a really clear vision for what I want. And yeah, I'm not a designer. So I think that's also a challenge in being able to articulate what you're mm-hmm. looking for. But yeah, it's, it's really, I'm now looking at the covers of books in a way that I've never looked at them before. I'm like, what makes that cover stand out? What makes it great? So that's been kind of cool. Book jacket covers has basically been my life. It's really fun though. It's, yeah. it's like getting, you know, I'm now past the hard stuff with like the writing. Well, yeah. not a hundred percent, but now I get to do something like really fun. I feel like um, the book jacket cover makes it feel, I, I mean, I've never written a book, but <laughs> I would imagine it makes it feel like super real because you're yeah. like, well, this is what the physical thing is going to look like. It's not just totally. like an endless word document. I think that is absolutely happening. Like it, it is becoming more real, but I also think that people feel that way when they get their first like physical copy. Yeah. Ugh, I guess, I'll, probably, <laughs> I'll probably just cry. <laughs> All right. So let's move into tough questions. You want to start? Sure. So when is the last time? I actually wanted to throw a curveball in here. Okay. <laughs> When's the last time you actually disconnected from work for 24 hours? And what I wanted to add to this is that you had access to internet. So you can't oh. use a vacation, maybe a safari where you oh, didn't wow. have access to internet. When I've had access to internet. Yeah. So just context everybody. I went to on a safari in Tanzania in June and Kayleen doesn't <laughs> want me using that clearly. Um, I obviously didn't I have internet. Yeah. So totally disconnected. So one of the things that I like to do, and I feel like for whatever reason, like I will completely disconnect on a Saturday. I feel like Saturday is like a safe yeah. space. Like you've, you know, whatever happened on Friday has been like pretty much cleaned up or, you know, packaged and I don't need to deal with it probably until at a minimum Sunday night or sometime on Sunday. So for whatever reason, Saturday is my if I'm going to completely disconnect, which is sort of rare, but I am trying to actually have Saturday be my 100% disconnect day. So, okay, let's just say most Saturdays and like, what am I doing instead? Because I think that's always like, (laughs) what do you do if you don't have internet? I'm trying to just do anything outside. It's, you know, especially when you live in Southern California, we pay such a quote unquote high price to live here, not Mm -hmm. just like literally for rent and all that, but you know, just traffic and life and all that. So trying really hard to to take advantage of that the other thing I've been trying to do when I'm disconnected from work is anything like that's with my hand so like gardening painting um and when I say painting no I don't like actually paint beautiful pictures like you know maybe it's like repainting a room in my house I've always wanted I'm like (laughs) I hate that color like anything that is basically not going to be looking at a screen I think is really really important because it for us our work is so digital that like Mm -hmm. if you have a screen in front of you can absolutely do it or like not be disconnected from work yeah I I feel like if you have the screen I mean I'm definitely guilty of this too where if I'm gonna be looking maybe at Instagram or um, then I'll go over like the Fitbit app or this or that and then obviously I'm gonna go into my email too yeah and then I'm gonna open it and then like market is unread yeah didn't do that yeah (laughs) exactly yeah I think escaping screens is crucial yeah and I find too that like I used to like go down these rabbit holes of like looking at Pinterest or this and that and I find that actually doing something outdoors that's like physical because it's so different than the day-to-day is more calming than Mm -hmm. than just 
you know, still being on the screen, but not looking at work. Okay. So my tough question for you is what is something you always make time for no matter what? I think, oh God, I'm going to talk about it. And Bravo doesn't count. Oh my God. (laughs) That is true. I do make time for Bravo, like no matter what. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I know, um, but I'm going to talk about Fitbits twice today. But I do try to make time every day to go for a walk, even if it's like 20 minutes, even if it's like I, I'm trying to get better at work. Cause sometimes if I if I go past like the 2 o'clock hour, I'm like, it's too late. Yeah. I'm trying to do that, to go out for a walk, to at least – I like to get my 10,000 steps a day. Same. If I don't Same. get that little green <laughs> star, it hurts. <laughs> I try to do that every day. If, if I don't get it done at work, then usually I, I really like to just put on um, an audiobook and walk around the neighborhood and yeah. be kind of creepy and look in people's houses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so fun. I No, I get it. I'm, I'm a big 10,000 step a day yeah. person. I, I will even do the thing where I'll park somewhere further, mm-hmm. so like I have to walk back and forth, but like tricking yourself. But I do find – so it's funny because yesterday – I told Kaylee this, but yesterday I, I did this thing for work and then immediately backed into a pole. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, my poor car. And I was all amped up. And so like when I got to my next meeting, instead of parking and just going straight in, I like parked and I like went for a walk yeah. around a block. I was like, and it, it is like, it does chill me a little yeah. bit. And I think that's important. So, all right. Well, tough questions. Be back next week with more of them. Um, well, thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. We absolutely love hearing from you guys and we read every single one. We'll be back next Tuesday with Dr. Robin Burzen, a functional medicine doctor and the founder of Parsley Health. Until then, you can follow us on at the females podcast on Instagram. You can also feel free to DM us there if you've got any tough questions that you want us to answer. Um, And you can share this episode with your work wives and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. What you're describing is the state of all of us today, right? We're going from morning till night. We are living in a state of sympathetic overdrive. The sympathetic nervous system is your fight or flight, your run from a lion. But our proverbial lion is the email um, (laughs) and the appointment and the thing we have to take our kids to. And so we... I see so many people, especially women, especially working women, waking up in that overdrive from the moment they wake up, you know, whine at the end of the night to kind of calm it all down, and then this rinse and repeat cycle, and as a result, they're not sleeping.